another sign to good health, and that's good mental health. We're excited to get our hands on the book. When does it come out exactly? May 23rd. Okay. How are you feeling about it? Good. Good. I mean, I, you know, I'll have a lot of a lot of haters, um, but I think that it will really speak to speak to women and speak to, you know, men like you who actually care about where we're going as a society. And in one way or another, we've all been through it, most of us. So I hope it's relatable. What does that word mean to you, troublemaker? Well, most people don't know that uh, Nelson Mandela's birth name uh, actually uh, translates into troublemaker. So, you know, if I could have one fraction of what Nelson Mandela had, um, it's good. It's just sort of, you know, John Lewis, the congressman, longtime congressman from Georgia, always talked about making good trouble. It's I think it's speaking up for things that make people uncomfortable, you know, sticking up for what's right, just not being silent, just speaking out and, you know, making your voice heard and trying to trying to get change to happen. It's like I put in the book that uh, this great quote from Eli Weissel says that silence only encourages the people who who are doing wrongs. So mm. it's just try. I worked with so many people who just stayed silent and just accepted it. So it finally, I was just like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I mean, for for people who might not be aware of like the the basis of the book, can you help educate folks about what's in there? What drew you to write this memoir? How long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> this is open ended. Yeah. We got it. We, um, we got all the time in the world. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I've always kind of been this defender of of people um, and of myself, but more I think for other people. And there's a there's a chapter in the book called um, "The Three Iron That Saved My Life," and it goes back to when I was a freshman in college, and I literally was leaving a basketball game where I went to high school, and I saw a man who's like six foot three, just closed fist, punched this little girl, probably five foot two. And she literally fell back onto the hood of a car. And I mean, I'm five foot four. It's not like I can take this guy on, but um, you can make golf club. Mm. I can take anybody on. So I just, I mean, just reactionary, just popped my trunk. And that's back when people still hit three (laughs) irons and just pulled the three iron. And I went over there and I mean, I'm yelling at this guy. I can't believe, I mean, I'm just, I'm in total shock. Like I'm literally in shock mode. And um, just started threatening him and saying all this stuff. And he grabbed me by the throat and he bent me down. I'll never forget it. Bent me. And I go into detail, I explain it. it bends me down and, and I can see him pick something up. So my first thing is he's p- going to pick up a rock and just try to, you know, do whatever. So I just took that three iron in the hosel and I literally hit him in the shin. The shin snapped. You could see like he just gasped and just ran off I mean limped off and I you know I wasn't paying attention to him the girl runs into a bathroom but what amazed me was there was this crowd of onlookers like 15 people there and nobody Mm. stood in to help her and I and I couldn't believe it and so I think that that's a pretty good you know story that goes back to sort of it's just it's in me I guess it's innate there were some things that happened at Golf Channel and I detail in the book that happened to some other women and finally when it started happening to me in a different way you know because people they knew that I was outspoken anybody who knows me they don't they don't really want to like come after me aggressively but they just all these microaggressions and little things started happening and I didn't didn't stand for it there are a lot of things that I haven't spoken about publicly that are finally in the book and that's why I wanted to write it you know you can't you can't do it in what whatever character limit on Twitter is 
Yeah. So it was really cathartic in that in that way. I needed my own uh, group therapy. <laughs> wow. To the extent that you're comfortable when you replay that moment in your mind, what was going through your mind? Oh, rage. Just rage. Like even now, like I can feel my body temperature getting hot. And that was a very physical altercation. So I, I now if I see, uh, you know, just the thought of abuse, rape, you know, in any kind of bigger person hurting, you know, it could be a woman hurting a child, physically abusing the child, like it, people abusing dogs. Like it's just, it has such a lingering effect with me. I, you know, I'll never, I'll never get it out of, it'll never leave my mind um, mm -hmm. if you've ever seen anything like that. And she was defenseless. There was nothing that she could have done. And I mean, honestly, I would have been defenseless too, except for at a golf club. And, I, you know, I was a really good golfer at the time, and I knew he didn't stand a chance. I mean, he couldn't have fought me off with that. But it, it I think it kind of taught and instilled the lesson in me that if you're able to stick up for people, you have to do it at all costs. So, um, yeah, it was one of uh, probably one of those moments in my life that really sort of established who I am, I think, in terms of being that defender of people and just never went away. Well, you can find the center of a the club face. Um, <laughs> you can find the center of a shin. <laughs> With the hosel. Yeah, that's where the good stuff is. That's where all right. that's, that's, ask anybody who's the ever, point. ever, ask anybody who's ever suffered from the shanks. They know how, how dangerous that hosel is. It's the best shank you've ever hit in your life. I, you know, it's funny. I always hit everything on the toe. On the toe. I mean, I, my my golf swing's always been. I'm a toe strike kind of player, and uh, so it's one of the only times I've ever ever hit the hosel. But I hit it. I mean, all jokes aside, I think the the part of your story, as horrific as it is, the the part that sticks out to me the most, I think, is your observation that you looked around and saw a bunch of people looking on to the situation, not doing anything. I think everybody to a certain extent has been in a similar situation, maybe not that that specific one, which is incredibly violent and abusive of power, but been in a situation where you see a violent act, be it verbal, be it, be it physical, unfold. And some people freeze up yeah. out of fear, out of trying to make a decision. But you obviously chose to to dive in pretty headfirst into that. And it seems that's not an uncommon practice for you to jump in headfirst into conflict and be ready to get your hands dirty. Where does that come from in you, do you think? Where where can you trace that back to, that, that fearlessness of conflict and willingness to stand up for other people, including yourself? That's a great question. Um, my sister and I both have it. I would say that we're identical in that regard. Um, it's not from it's not from our mother. Uh, it has to be in some in some way, shape, or form from from my from our dad. I would think, although I've never really seen that in action. But you know, he's always been a defender of of people. Not that my mom hasn't, but I mean, my dad's very outspoken in that regard, and you know, he always. He always taught my sister and me to stand up for ourselves. You know, that this life isn't going to be easy. This world is not going to be easy for you. You know, don't be afraid to speak out. Don't be afraid to speak your mind. Now, he, he might regret some of that later, <laughs> some of that now. But um, 
Yeah, I think that we've just kind of always been that way. I mean, my sister would have done the exact same thing. And I can't say that about a lot of other folks, you know, a lot of other folks I know would have been in that crowd of onlookers. And I think that that, you know, next to the next to the assault, that was the part that that infuriated me the most was looking. I mean, I remember yelling at all those folks after he limped off and she ran into the bathroom just screaming at them. You know, just uncontrollably, because I mean, I'm full of all this rage and fear at that point, and just saying, "What's wrong with you all? How how could you let this happen?" But we see it every day. I mean, you're right, not to that extent, mm. but people people are accepting of wrongdoings. They make excuses for it. They ignore it. They pretend like it, you know, like it didn't happen mm. because they don't want to be in the middle of it. Yeah. And you know, I think that that's what we have to step away from to make things better. There's sort of a tragedy of the commons principle going on there as well, right? Somebody else is going to clean up this mess, so I don't need to. But I, I would hope that people seeing you, people, onlookers in that situation and and, situ- and other situations that you describe in the book, and I, I want to hear from you about some of those as well, I would hope take some inspiration from you in that act of jumping in and standing up for other people and using your voice and and your strength physical and verbal <laughs> uh, to to as to protect people people need it people yeah. need allies at a at a 30,000 foot view i guess like at, you know taking a step back when you look at your experience at at the golf channel not just yours but the situation the experience of 19 other women that also publicly came forward about this system of misogyny and sexism and harassment quite literally in, in some cases how does it make you feel to to look at a system like that and see that very few consequences have taken place from those allegations you know those those comments yeah. that that you that you all brought forward two years ago that's a lot of time that's passed and you know now you have a book coming out about it curious how much has actually happened in the background I don't think a lot I think that they did what what companies in this situation initially do. They send out emails, they call meetings, they say, oh, you know, we care about diversity inclusion, fill out this questionnaire, watch this video. Um, but I think that we all know if there are continual people at the top who are allowing this to happen, those people have to go. You don't just change a person, and I'm not saying everybody who's involved in the situation is a horrible person, but they're obviously flawed as leaders, and they're flawed in the sense of allowing that stuff to happen. And, you know, a lot of the people, now, some of the people I talk about are are bad human beings, and but not all of them. And, you know, most of my experience at Golf Channel was great. I mean, I still have a lot of wonderful friends. I mean, I loved the job. I loved what I what I got to do it was you know five percent of the folks who who made it well it, that led to the book and I don't even know if it would be five percent it was you know a handful of people actually it's probably a smaller percentage than that so I think that what I wanted to do you know I didn't initially know that that I could write a book well first of all I had to go through the whole legal process but once I saw them trying to do a few things differently or trying to have these meetings and you know you hear about this ongoing problem that's really not changing that's when you want to get the conversation out there and keep the conversation going so so it doesn't go away that's what i think that not that we're bad at doing but i think that women have a women have a hard time with doing that 
You know, I always make the point, you know, obviously long admired the the black community. You go back to all the social injustices that we've had in this country. But for the most part, I think any black person, Bradford, you could probably speak to this. There is a there is a united front. There is a united force like we are not accepting this. This cannot happen. These changes have to be made. And I don't care how much you push back. We're going to push back harder. Women are, you know, we're kind of divided on it. Some women will speak out. I mean, I had somebody who I used to work with was on a, I, I don't know if she was on a podcast. I heard her speak about it. And she, you know, she made some quotes saying, I'm not some feminist who, who thinks that everything should be equal all the time. But how are women torn? I mean, you know, you still have a segment of the population with women who would just go back to women staying in the house. And, you know, the biggest problem, I, I say this repeatedly and that I learned from writing this book, is that the biggest problem facing women actually are women. My boss was a woman. The woman who hired me was a woman. And she allowed all this stuff to happen. She may not have done it directly, but she signed off on it. What does that say? And she's still there. And that's unfortunate. These things have to change. You have to get leaders who care about the right way of doing things. You care about advancement of, of people. You care about treating people right. And I think a lot of companies are now grasping that. They understand that these look these problems aren't going away. People like me aren't going away. They're only multiplying. So we've got to make, we have to make this better. And that's a smart way to do it. Um, I think I'm still waiting for confirmation that NBC and, and Golf Channel will do that. And this book will ruffle some feathers, but that's the intention of it. You didn't name the book Troublemaker for no reason. No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, the patriarchy's done a number on all of us. Yeah. Uh, Boy, that, that's true. That is, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm unlearning a lot of what was what was fed to me, you know, what was taught to me what I, what I was modeled, um, or what was modeled for me rather. So I, 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 yeah, I hear you. That hits home, you know, um, that there, there is a division there and I can, I could see it in the black community as well, to be honest. Um, not to the extent that, you know, black folks would go back to name a decade, but, yeah. um, but, but there's, there's division of thought for sure. And, and I think, the challenge is for folks like yourself and for me who are in those communities um, is to, to check people on it. You know, yeah. you, you said your boss was a woman mm -hmm. like that. I, I think, and I don't want to speak for you or for women whatsoever, but like that, that's like when you kind of got to look around and be like, yo, <laughs> <laughs> you look like me. You look like me. W like, what are we doing here? Yeah. What are yeah. we doing? Like, like, who is this benefiting? And then, as I've learned, when it, when it all boils down to it, it's like it's upholding patriarchal norms that we've all been fed, yeah. we've all been taught, yeah. we've all been like steeped in. Yeah. Um, that's just always on the like the tip of my tongue at the forefront of my mind because I'm you know f firmly in this this space right now where I'm unlearning a lot of stuff and I'm really passionate about that. So that's I cool. Wanna, I that's to, cool. I, that I like that. Mind. That's that's neat. <laughs> And it's interesting to hear you speak that that you that you still see it in the black community. I mean, I guess that it's, you know, some people so badly want to be accepted that they'll right. that they'll look past inequality and injustices, and that just I, I I can't even wrap my head around that. You know, I think for I you think know. for my boss Molly, she so desperately wanted to be a part of that boys club and accepted and not rock the boat and you know not be those 
one of those women who was just, you know, trying to advance women. I mean, novel concept um, <laughs> that she looked past a lot of that stuff, which is, you know, mm-hmm. and we go into this in detail in the book and Tucker, who co-wrote the book with me, actually wrote this part and, and he worded it brilliantly. And so, you know, however I say it, it's going to to mess it up. But he talked about women in power like Molly Solomon, who I'm talking about, the executive producer at Golf Channel, and how women like that actually hurt themselves because they become pawn pieces to these other men and they know that they could play them. And that's exactly what happens. You lose all respect in in the area that, that you're running. And that yeah. was one thing that really stood out to me is the the lack of respect that people had and just because there was no backbone, there was no order of you know, right versus wrong. It was just like, you know, we know that we kind of have her playing into our hands and so we'll use it to our advantage. As you were explaining, like, you know, what, what that pawn looks like, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking about it from my experience, there's safety in, in being a pawn, frankly, like there's, yeah. there's comfort in not ruffling feathers. There's, um, you know, you, you go to sleep at night, you know, <laughs> comfortable uh-huh. thinking, you know, I can get by, you know, one, one, one more day, one yeah. more meeting one more yes one more okay and things will be okay that's what you think ultimately um but at the end of the day you're hurting yourself yeah no doubt about it there's gonna be a reckoning with with oneself where they're like i'm not well yeah <laughs> whether that's you know mental physical emotional like that the chick has got to come home to roost as they say and that shows up in in a variety of different ways you know some some folks uh it manifests in anxiety, depression, they don't know where it comes from. When you finally had that moment where you were like, mm-hmm. enough is enough. Something needs to be done. Something needs to be said. Someone needs to be told. What were you experiencing? Like, what? how did that manifest for you? Was it that, as you uh, explained earlier, uh, like, mm-hmm. did you feel your body temperature getting warmer? Like, what was it? <laughs> was it rage? Was it on a regular basis? Yeah. Curious how that how that manifested for you and that that breaking point. Yeah. A lot of things happened over several years. And that's why it's always been difficult for me to to tell the story, because it was just all these all these different things that happened in this buildup. And it was hard for me to explain. Like if I sat here and tried to explain it to you and I said, Bradford, let me let me tell you what happened. Sit down. Like it would be really hard because mm-hmm. There were so many different little things that happened that led to that to that moment. And thankfully, one of the closest people to me in my life is my cousin, and she's a lawyer, and, you know, she's very practical thinking, and, mm-hmm. you know, we could, where I'm, like, fired up and emotional, and she's like, okay, well, let's talk through this, and, you know, we would talk about it often. I mean, from when it first started, even when I first started at Golf Channel, and I, you know, I had this pushback from Brandel early on, and I knew I, I couldn't put my finger around as to why, but I knew that it was there. And I make my guesses in the book as to why I think he initially had some disdain for me. Um, and I'll just, I'll say this without going into the whole story. Um, so I grew up playing junior golf with, with Tiger Woods and we were, we were close as kids and I was close with his dad and I was very, you know, always been very open about that and vocal about it. And this was the time when Brandel was really coming down on Tiger you know, calling mm. him a cheater at the Masters and all this other stuff. I mean, he should have lost his job over that. Yeah. And so I go into detail in the book about my guess is that it's, you know, it was because of that in my defense of Tiger. I don't know that. That's just an assumption. But 
it started with him and, you know, I just became keenly aware of different things that happened. The breaking point, which is what you asked about, was when I got my scheduling email. I think it was in December 2018. I think that that's correct. And we always would get our six-month schedule email. So in December, I got January 1 through, you know, the end of June. Without going too deep into my background, I mean, I'm from Arkansas. I'm a four-time Arkansas Women's State Champion. I had just recently uh, gotten the announcement that I was being inducted into the Arkansas Golf Hall of Fame. I had a long history. Yeah, I started, I was the first post-Title IX scholarship at the University of Arkansas for women's golf. And I had written a letter for the university on its behalf to get NCAAs at Fayetteville um, for 2019, which they ended up accepting. And, you know, my role with Golf Channel had always been um, pretty heavy with women's college golf. I'd always hosted the event. I get the scheduling email, and this is after um, some things that happened most recently, an on-air incident with Chambly back in August, to which I tried to get Molly's husband to help because you know they were it, it it makes perfect sense right if you're if you're in charge you hire your husband right no you don't do that anymore but they did that so her husband ended up becoming head of on-air talent which is another interesting chapter in yeah. the book um and so there was all this nepotism at play and so her husband was now my boss and he's a total hothead and I guess he and Chambly are are pretty tight and so when I went to him about this issue with Chambly he just I don't know what happened behind the scenes Mm. I didn't realize back then how close they were but it it ended up being the beginning of the end for me so I received the scheduling email that I was not hosting the women's golf championships in my hometown at the place where I played college golf, just got inducted in the Hall of Fame, all these things. Like it would have been a great promotional PR thing. And in a role that you had served many times over, right? Yeah, had always had always had. And I'll never forget getting that email, storming up to Golf Channel, trying to get an answer. Molly's husband basically just started shouting at me and saying, we don't give we don't give roles. I mean, this guy's he's a a writer background. He has no experience in TV or production. We don't give roles based on where you're from, was his answer. And so I left that day, called my dad, and he goes, Lisa, I hate to tell you this, but you need to start looking for another job. He goes, they're pushing you out. So I, Mm. you know, to make a long story short, that was the breaking point. I called the head of NBC Compliance and started the process. I'd never got HR in my life. In fact, I went to NBC Sports Compliance or NBC Compliance because I was trying to avoid Golf Channel's HR department because I had been involved with some other women with some issues where it was handled so badly that it it was borderline illegal. I mean, two of the women should have Mm -hmm. hired lawyers, but that's that's their book and their story. But um, yeah, that that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I just want to address one thing really quickly. At at the top of that, you said that you struggle telling this story and i just want to give you like some reassurance with all of that because i i think partially what's at play here is when systems of oppression are built around essentially gaslighting people yeah that's the tool that is used to make stories like that hard to tell the whole right. point of manipulation is making people with less power feel 
unreasonable for pushing back against the manipulator's disrespect in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I do I, I do want to say this, and I appreciate you saying that. I don't struggle telling the story. <laughs> I, I struggle telling it because it's so big and, and intertwined. Well, exactly. And yeah. And that's... Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's so... Like, it, it doesn't properly... You know, but like me telling you that story now, I can't properly set it up. But when I wrote the book, I could set it up because I could give you mm-hmm. an example from, you know, here and here and here, which it does chronologically. Receipts. Yeah. You got receipts. <laughs> And yeah. as I, I actually used that phrase in the book, I said I have receipts in a lot of them. I mean, I had a lot of receipts, yeah. but I didn't I, mean I, I didn't know mean you to got cut black you off. Friends. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Ruffle some stuff up. <laughs> but no, but you're right, Connor. Like a lot of people do have, they do struggle. Uh, the problem for Golf Channel and NBC is I don't struggle with that. Is I'm really happy to talk about it, and I don't care the backlash that I receive. And there's been a lot. I mean, I've had. People call me, you know, on Twitter, all sorts of names, you know, you can only imagine, but it's just, it's a hard story to tell because it's, it's just so intertwined with a lot of other stuff that happened. Yeah. If that makes sense. Totally. And, and sort now of I'm getting to, hot again. Yeah. <laughs> That's reasonable. Right. I mean, and, and so like, I guess to, to double click on Bradford's question earlier about that breaking point when all of this is coalescing, when you're starting to, and it sounds like your 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 dad was attuned to this happening as well. Mentally, what's happening for you? What what sorts of emotions are coursing through your veins? You know, this is a this is a therapy show. Like, what what were you feeling at that time? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it's hard to process. And you're right. I mean, the whole gaslighting thing. Sometimes I do think it's overused, but I do think that it it's it's real. I mean, it's definitely real and. Anybody who comes at you, they want to make it like it's it's your problem, it's your mistake, it's your fault, it's, you know, all of these things that, that you've done. And that was really one of the um, legal angles that my lawyer took. He was like, okay, that's great. You, you want to say on one hand you let her go for budget, but then on the other hand, OPS, she was also a, a really bad employee. He's like, okay, that's great. Um, you're still spending money like crazy. You're still keeping people employed and hiring her replacement. So that nixes the budget theory. Um, she was a bad employee, but she has all positive reviews. So how does that add up? I mean, yeah. like, it, it, honestly, I wish that I could put out everything that, that their lawyer uh, followed up with in terms of the EEFC. I can paraphrase it, which I do in the book, um, but it's not only embarrassing it proves the whole point of why companies have this power and why governing, bo- or not even governing bodies, but bodies like the EEOC need to be expanded and funded yeah. because this is the reason that it's hard. It's hard to get ahead in this. It's, you know, it's so expensive. Um, NBC's lawyers are, they're on these, you know, big salaries and retainers and they have all this money. It's why, it, look, I get why, I get why people don't take up these, these battles. But yeah, it's hard to process, you know, it's hard to wrap your head around how do I fight this correctly? How do I how do I deal with this? What's what's the appropriate rational response? And so I just kind of went with my gut and didn't do anything rationally. The crazy thing is you go to the golf course and you see people that have paid thousands of dollars for their golf equipment. They're dripped out in a perfect fit. 
and then you see the glove that they're using and it has a hole in it. It's brown and it was it originally was a white glove. And you're saying so you spent like three thousand dollars on everything, but you didn't have time to buy a twenty dollar golf glove. The round is not the same. It's ruined. It's ruined. I got one more thing to add too. All you golf hipsters out there, you yeah, you know I'm talking to. Yeah, you bristly ass mustache face. Cold brew drinking long cut tobacco smoking seltzer having oh y'all you know exactly who i'm talking to you think you dress better than us prove it because red rooster got hella colors you can find one that matches your outfit right now and if you post up on the gram and you got a crusty glove i'm calling you out and i'm gonna direct you to red rooster because shame on you shame shame we're gonna septa unella go shame on your asses if we see you with crusty gloves yes but now you should match that glove with them foot joys Match your dickies with your glove. Match your tee with your glove. Match your hat with your glove. You can do that. Thank you, the Red Rooster. You should be thanking them. We we thank them. We do. Head over to redroostergolf.com and use our code GGT20 for 20% off your first order. Y'all, this Roan commuter shirt is like that. I'm trying to tell people. I really am. I'm posting about it. I'm telling people about it. And you know, one thing I look at when I'm, trying new shirts. I don't own an iron, right? I steam most of my clothes, but I didn't have to worry about that because the Roan has wrinkle release technology in the shirt. The wrinkles disappear as you stretch. It's like a, you know, what's that joke? It's like, what gets wetter as it dries? A towel. towel. What wrinkles disappear as you wear it? It's the Roan commuter shirt. Riddle me that. And right now, Connor, Drew, you go on Roan.com slash GGT, you can get that same shirt. And now something for our listeners. If you're trying to get down with this Roan commuter shirt, all you have to do is go to Roan.com. That is R-H-O-N-E.com and use code GGT to save 20% on your order. Courtesy of the Shrinks. We, I, I feel like we, we speak to so many people who at some point in their lives, you know, people who have grown up playing golf, loving golf, deciding to chase that passion with every fiber of their body. Like you did, like you, you, you followed a career in golf because you grew up playing, you found success in it. You found joy and passion in this thing only to then at some point look up and, and feel the weight of the system based around this game (laughs) underscore start to choke them out and feel as though that there's not a place for them in it. As you're going through all of this, what is your relationship with golf like right now, right? Like, because there's the game, the game mm-hmm. that doesn't know what you look like, doesn't know your gender, doesn't know your sexual orientation, doesn't know anything about you. And then there's a system built around it that has all of these, all of this, these power constraints. And yeah. ha- has any of that impacted the way that you get out and swing a golf club? Yeah, probably. Probably. Um, I would say it's it's probably not the most, but it's it's one of the most judgmental games out there. It has evolved. And I think that, you know, a lot of that is thanks to Tiger. Um, but look, we, we still need more color in the game. We still need more women in the game. I mean, I'm, I can't wait for the first like fully arm sleeve tattooed PGA Tour professional. <laughs> To be out there because what are country club? What are they going to say? Like you got you have to cover that up. You know, like golf would golf would totally do that. Can you imagine if LeBron James was just like, I'm going to go turn pro, and he's got all these, you know, he's LeBron. First of all, he's black. 
and he has you know all these arm sleeve tattoos. I mean, golf would absolutely freak out, mm-hmm. and not in a good way. You know, like the old, now there are a lot of young people coming into the game. Thank goodness that are sort of erasing that image. But I mean, my relationship with golf, I still love it. Um, I'm just very well aware of how a lot of these old stereotypes still exist. I mean, my club, unfortunately, where I live is is a pretty good example. I mean, I've heard I've heard some some members over there make comments that I can't repeat on here. Um, hmm. And if I hadn't been with a couple people, I mean, I would have gotten up and and said something. But it just it's accepted, you know. I don't. I don't get it. It's not, and certainly not every golfer is that way. Not everybody at my club is that way. But to know that there are people who still exist that have that frame of mind is just, it makes, it makes it tough. Plus golf's expensive. You know, it's not open. Mm. It's not open to kids. It's, it's open to elite kids, to kids from wealthier backgrounds. And we have to do something to change that. I mean, I know the first tee has done a lot and a lot of smaller cities with municipal courses are trying to do more. But if the game of golf truly does want to grow, some efforts and some funding um, needs to be needs to be made by some of these governing bodies because they have a lot of cash. There's more effort in in my eyes that I'm uh, that I see being done by folks with limited resources. You know, it, it kind of yeah. the, you know if they won't do it, we'll do it ourselves kind of um uh, communities and and groups and support um i mean even even you know talking about basketball players uh steph curry is a perfect example you know starting the underrated tour for for um, minority kids who have skill have talent have the 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 tangible assets they need to be successful in this game is you don't have the access and don't have the resources um so when I'm when I'm you know picturing you at this club, and uh, I, I don't know you know what this person looks like, what they said, you know um, how that felt for you, but what what is your experience at a club like that? You know, knowing what you know, um, being I barely Lisa. go over there. I barely <laughs> go over there because I don't want to. You know, I don't want to. I know what my reaction would be, mm-hmm. and and it wouldn't it wouldn't be good. And so. Um, I think what I've learned is, and this is sad, and maybe I'm wrong for thinking this, it's really hard to change hate. You know, mm. it's really hard. People have to be impacted by it in some way or another. It's got to pull you know, up on their front door. Yep. All the, all these people who are saying all these horrible things about, you know, you mentioned Haley Davidson, transgender golfer. You know, Haley's kept my dogs. Haley is such such a great person. And, you know, to read some of these awful things, you know, um, that that people are saying about her. I mean, I happened on Twitter today, a former pro. I, I don't really know what he's done. Uh, John Peterson, I think, is his name. But, I mean, he's like, why do you have to use that language? Why do you have to be so hateful? I mean... Like it's it's really bad, you know. Yeah. And we talk about the suicide rate for for transgender folks, not not just transgender athletes. I mean, you don't you don't have to be on that side of the transgender athlete debate, but you don't have to be hateful about it. Right. And you know, it, it's been hard for me to read today, but I'm not going to change somebody like John's mind. 
you know, what would change John's mind if his daughter came home and said, hey, I want you to meet my my transgender friend, um, Jenny, or or I possibly think that I'm transgender. I mean, how many times do you read about that? When parents, they're impacted by that because they have personal experience. Right. right. You know, you hear that in the gay community all the time. I mean, you know, when I was a kid in the South, it was about white women dating black men. I mean, I, you know, I still can't believe that that happened back in, in my day. I guess that shows how old I am. But, um, you know, and then all of a sudden it just became more common and people just, oh, well, it's not a big deal. My nephew, who is 18 years old or 19, he doesn't see color. He doesn't see what well, he doesn't know. Gay, straight, trans. It doesn't matter. That's what you know, m- most young people are. They don't see that stuff. It's all learned behavior. So if you're a parent and you're a John Peterson on Twitter spewing this hateful rhetoric, rhetoric what are you teaching your kids? They're going to grow up and they're going to be filled with that hate. Mm-hmm. I'm a name caller. Sorry. I mean, I not name callers and like, I'm going to call you a name. I'm just going to call you out. <laughs> John. Call you out by name. So we've learned. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay. Um, so, so the, I, I know you said, you know, when, when you see um, some, some behavior uh, that you, you, you know, do not agree with you, that's, that's an area of the club you won't, you know, experience. You don't associate with those people. You don't play with those people. Um, but when you are there, what's your experience like? Are you there? Um, mainly for competition? Are you there for just pleasure? Are you there? Yeah. yeah. What, just what does that look like for you now? I just show up on the first tee, do a couple stretches and go. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's sad. I don't even go. I mean, sometimes I'll go to the range and hit, hit 20 golf balls. I probably should for my back and for my game, but no, it's, I don't keep score anymore. If one goes OB, I just pick another one up and hit one again like there's I, I've just I found a way to love the game and the best way for me to love the game since I don't play a lot is just not to not to care you know whether I'm shooting 75 or 85 or 95 because it could be all the evolved <laughs> oh you'd fit right in with us yeah yeah come yeah. play with us come on in please okay, cool. <laughs> water's nice I, I had a I had a I had a friend who, who taught me a good thing she goes oh I don't keep score anymore I just put a smiley face or or a frown face I love that instead of a score I I was that. like, that's great I love that. I love That's it. Great. It's so good. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I mentioned on, on, uh, one of my, my videos I posted earlier this year, like that's how I want to treat my scorecard this year. Like, am I happy with one or two shots per hole? Great. Then I'm gonna give myself, uh, maybe I'll use a smiley face and frown. I like that a there lot actually. Yeah. Cause it, 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 it's teaching me to interact with my performance differently. It's not yeah. like I, um, Connor, I'm going to give you your flowers real quick. Um, we were out at a, a course in Brago Springs, California last year, and I played a round of golf with Connor, and I watched him uh, break a course record. And oh, I shot Connor. a 90. <laughs> and I had the time of my life. I have to add, it was an unclaimed course record. <laughs> I didn't I didn't break I didn't break anything. <laughs> Nobody had gone for it before. I could have shot. Okay, it. well, if, if, if anybody's still cl- unclaimed or otherwise, you you know, you're you're doing some good things. Nobody's talking about me breaking course <laughs> records. I, I can tell you that. Sorry, Bradford. But, I had but, to but that's to taught me. No, no, man. I, I'm trying. I'm trying to give you flowers you over here, bro. What'd you shoot? <laughs> 75 from the red-white combo tees. How about that? Nice. 5,800 yards. Okay. 
Love it. Okay. I love it. <laughs> what, what's and cool so- about that to me is like at, at a course like that, which is, um, it's like a resort course. It's like a, it's like a buddy trip course. It's yeah. one of those places yeah. where you go and, and you, you stay and play and for the experience, it's in the middle of nowhere. So you're there and you're, you know, you can, <laughs> you can, you can go and, and try and do like, uh, like Connor did and, and, and go for a course record, or you could just go hit and giggle <laughs> with your friends. And, I get it. um, I, I would venture to say the majority of folks that would, uh, book a package to go and, you know, spend X amount of dollars to go and experience something like this would not take up that challenge simply because there's so much male ego involved in, um, in, in, in shooting from the forward tees and playing yeah. a, a combination of middle and forward tees. So not only am I going to give you your flowers for, uh, for attaining, I'll, I'll, I'll reframe that attaining a course record. Um, <laughs> but for just having, having the, the, um, the courage to drop the ego, mm. you know, and, and go for it anyway. Like, uh, I, I've, since that time I've played from the yellows, from the whites just for fun. Mm. Um, and it's, it's teaching me to interact with and experience the game differently. So yeah. uh, I don't know, maybe I needed that for me or, or for a listener, but I just had to, had to get that off. And, and it kind of, uh, was on the back end of just, you know, curious about how you interact with the game. And I'm glad to know that you have an experience that you can go not keep score, uh, write a smiley or, or sad frown face on your card, given how much you have experienced in this game, how much you have accomplished in this game. Um, I would venture to say you are uh, light years better than (laughs) all three of us combined. Um, (laughs) But like it's golf. It's a struggle. We know how it is (laughs) when you don't play. It's a struggle. Yeah. But Um, I've, I've, I've said for, for a long time, we need to get rid of the red tees in golf and not just to omit the whole ladies tees reference, but to get men to actually play the forward tees or further up because they don't want to play the red tees because for years they've associated them with ladies tees. Mm -hmm. So if you just get rid of red tees altogether, you don't have that issue. Just put the white tees up there and, you know, white, green, gold, black. Yeah. Just, just no more red tees. I love that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's a good take. Just put the white tees up there. (laughs) Don't tell them, don't tell them shit. Don't tell them. Yeah. That's just go great. out to your, just take your spray, uh, spray, right? Uh, your spray paint at, <laughs> at your that. own club and just get rid of the, just get rid of the red. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. We asked this question to a lot of our guests and I'm curious to hear your response given how much golf and how much life you've had. If you had the opportunity to play a round of golf with a younger version of yourself, you know, we're, we're oh. big believers in Ooh. the time travel in feeding the inner child within all of us, um, making time for them, uh, playing like you are a child, um, and using that as a means to heal. So if you had that opportunity to walk an 18-hole course with a younger version of yourself, what do you think the conversation would look like during that round? That's actually a great question that no one has has ever asked me. It'd be really easy. I would I would say stop being so hard on yourself. You're really good. Mm. You know, you're mm. you're holding yourself back with all this anger and emotion and what's wrong? You know, you hit a bad shot, who cares? People hit bad shots all the time. And you know, just go hit a good one the next time. <laughs> but mm-hmm. 
you know, this emotional hangover. It's one of the reasons that um, the PGA Tour has this. The LPGA Tour does not. I love the bounce back birdie stat because it, it shows more about emotion and character than I do than than skill. It's not a strokes gain stat. It just but there are certain players and you can watch it that um, they're pretty consistent in their ability to bounce back. And that's just having that kind of it's not just getting over a bogey or getting over a double. A lot of people do that and they'll, you know, make a par, or make three pars. But the ability to, you know, bogey birdie, bogey birdie, bogey mm-hmm. birdie, yeah. triple birdie. You know what I mean? And yeah. and a lot of people do that consistently. A lot of players do it consistently and they're consistently in the top of that statistical category. And I think it's it's one of my favorite stats on on tour to watch and to monitor because it it has nothing to do with they're all skilled. Right. That's more of a that's more of a mindfulness sort of emotional uh who has the guts and the ability to to just to let what happened go and move on. That's such a great I would not, stat. I would not have been good at the bounce back birdie stat. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I would not have been a leader. That's such a good shout. I, I haven't paid attention to that metric before, but yeah, we that that's a, you're right. That's a that's a great number that quantifies how how folks can get down, like bear down and yeah and focus on the next shot, the next hole. Um yeah, that's super cool. That's going to be something. Um, that stat might be something to monitor uh, and and kind of scout these players for <laughs> for yeah. frankly like interviews for group golf therapy. Hey man, let me let me pick your brain. Uh, yeah, you know, let me find out how you how you're able to do that so well. Yeah, like that yeah. that that speaks to yeah. um, the emotional and. Uh, health and maintenance of a player like in the heat of battle you know like that's that's impressive and yeah. I'm, I'm really happy you pointed that out because I, I didn't even know that was a thing so yeah uh, it's 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 my favorite stat yeah I love it um it's another question we ask folks what is a core golf memory of yours could be from any time uh something that sticks with you something that you take with you to every round of golf you play? I don't know if I take it to every round of golf I play, but probably my my biggest golf memory was when I was 14, and um, I won my first Arkansas women's state amateur title. And, you know, I was a kid out there, and nobody expected me to win it. And they were all 14. like, what is kid? What is she doing? <laughs> and it's, yeah, nobody in my state had ever won one on the men's or women's side at that age and still have it. Um, but I remember that day it hit me on the first tee and I literally, I thought I was going to throw up and I I remember how nervous I was, but there was one shot, there was a bunker shot on the ninth hole and a lot of people were around watching it. And I kind of felt like the moment where I could either prove that I could, you know, I could withstand this pressure and head to the back nine or whether it was going to kind of fall apart. Cause it was a longer bunker shot. I had a pretty big lip and I hit it to like, I don't know, three feet and then made the putt for par. And at that point, that was just that momentum building. I was like, okay, I can do this. I don't care what they all think. And at that point, you know, I was just like, you know, I'm not losing this. And Mm. yeah, I ended up, I I can't, I think I ended up winning by four or five, but um, yeah, I was just, that's probably of all the memories, my favorite. Cause I felt the most pressure, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, 
I wasn't supposed to be, you know, a lot of people say if you're not supposed to be there and you're not supposed to win, then uh, you can just freewheel it. That's, that's not the case. If nobody's, if nobody's counting on you to pull through, um, you kind of, you feel, you feel, you feel that pressure. You yeah. put that pressure on yourself because, you know, because there are a lot of doubters out there and it's easy in that moment to doubt yourself. So. Wow. That's, that's probably it. That's amazing. 14 years all the, old. All I, the good, all the good memories, all the good memories are from years ago. <laughs> I don't have any. <laughs> that's okay. Kind of, like we say, we, uh, we like, we like the time travel on this show. Yes, yeah, indeed. That's cool. Indeed. Before we get into the rest of our meat and potatoes questions, I, I would be remiss not to ask you. The foreword of your book is written by Miss Hillary Rodham Clinton. Um, pretty, yeah. pretty wild. Um, what does it feel like? What does it mean to you to have a stamp from such an iconic individual? It means a lot of different things. Um, first of all, I, do you all know that I'm related to Bill? I had heard that. So, I mean, okay, yeah. So I had, you know, obviously an in. It's not like I just reached out and said, hey, can Hillary please write this for her? I mean, I was, you know, Bill and I, Bill and I are really close. So um, it's so funny because, you know, we talk a lot. And Hillary and I actually don't talk a lot. Um, there's, but just because, you know, Bill and I talk because of golf. You know, we've all, mm. always been really close <laughs> because of golf. And she tells the story in the forward about, you know, she, she relates it to golf. I mean, Hillary's so brilliant, as most people know, but she's also just a phenomenal human being. I'll just say that the forward cannot be better. I mean, the way that she relates it to knowing me as a young girl, to my love for the game, to, you know, to Bill watching me on Golf Channel, and then dives into the whole um, feminism workplace issues that still exist today. And it's the quote, she ends up with the quote that's on my Twitter header um, mm. about discrimination still hiding in plain sight, and that's how it ends. And it's so true. I mean, we walk around every day, and you know, everybody thinks, "Oh, discrimination doesn't exist," and it. But she's right; it is still hiding right there. It's just, are you going to pay attention to it? And notice, or are you going to look the other way? So yeah. So to have on a personal level, it meant to, it meant a lot yeah. because it, you know, Hillary putting her rubber stamp of approval on it. As a woman, it means everything. Has there been a, a better voice for women the last 20 years than Hillary Clinton? I mean, and talk about somebody who's taken punch after punch. Yeah. I mean, you know, they've called her everything from, I don't know, murderer to Trump said she should be in jail. That's kind of funny now, too. <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> it just goes back to the society and culture. But anybody who knows Hillary, you know, knows knows her but yeah i mean to have her name on the front cover it gives it gives credibility to people outside the golf world who don't know me right you know women mm -hmm. women who are like tell me why i should read this book well okay let, how about we just let hillary tell tell you why yeah. um but it's 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 fantastic it um i i remember when bill called me and told me that she was going to do it it was literally the day before um, the book was going to print. So we had to stop print. Oh my goodness. And they were on vacation and, and Bill goes, Hey, look, she's going to do it. We're on vacation. Send, send some talking points or some notes to Oscar. That's one of the people who takes care of a lot of their personal stuff. And he goes, I'll be in touch next week. Wow. wow. So the funny story, you know, they get back and they end up, you know, they write it like just to show that they're real people. They literally, she wrote it at the, at their kitchen table at their house when they got back. And Bill Clinton, you know, who is 
you know, he's 75 years old and he's, he's pretty advanced technology wise compared to most 75 year olds. He literally texts me screenshots of her forward. And so I'm sitting there looking at it and then he calls, he calls me and he goes, have you read it? And I'm like, you sent it to me 30 seconds ago. No, I haven't read it. He's like, come on, okay, chop, well, then, chop. I know. I'm like, I'm not a former president. You know, it takes me a minute to sort of, uh -huh. you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't a Rhodes Scholar. And he goes, he goes, okay, well, they're out of order. So you'll just have to figure out how they go together. Oh. And he goes, but we're, and he goes, I mean, it, but it was really easy, you know, because the first one started That's with funny. that and then the end. You can only put this in the book if you figure out the riddle. Right. I know, right. And yeah. And he said, um, he goes, now it's so-and-so words. He goes, we're still at the table. So if we need to write more, call me back. Oh, oh my <laughs> God. So funny. That's incredible. But it's it's a great little side story. You guys are actually the first people um, outside of my family who's heard that story. So it's it's pretty funny. But it just shows that they're you know like they're real they're real human beings. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I'm curious if you you know you mentioned you you and Bill having a close relationship over golf. Obviously, he was a big golfer um, throughout his presidency. Do you have any stories or memories of playing golf with him during? those years and any special oh, yeah. conversations maybe that happened on the golf course? So chapter three in the book is called POTUS. <laughs> it goes into when, when Bill was first elected president, well, it actually goes back, you know, to some of the younger years, our time playing, to, playing golf together while we, while he was president and even while he was governor. And then during the transition, which was a shock to all of us <laughs> and to some experiences at the white house yeah, I think probably one of the most memorable times, and I do talk about this in the book, was Christmas Day, 1992, about a month after he'd been elected. And it was the first time that I had experience with the Secret Service on the golf course with them. Whoa. And it was just completely overwhelming. And Are we talking like, you know, like snipers and trees? You have, you have snipers and trees, yeah. Like you, yeah, you, yeah. And, you know, and, and in the beginning, it's hard to get used to it. You know, like it's really nerve wracking. But then you just get used to it. I would go up there every three or four months and we'd go play golf. And um, it was, yeah, it was quite the, quite the experience. Uh, how do you hit a tee shot when you know that there's somebody <laughs> with a gun in the, <laughs> That's what, in the tree I know, That's right? behind yeah, you? The first, if, yeah, the first couple of times it wasn't easy. Oh my God. And then you just, yeah, you just get used to it. That you round. Know, you, know that, you know that they're not there looking for you. Yes, that's true. true. That's fair. Yeah. Um, was his? Uh, do you remember hearing any anything from him mood wise about you know you 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 got him at a vulnerable time? He just won election, is ready to be inaugurated as the president of the United States. What do you remember? What his mood was like during that time? Was he able to? Oh, just full of energy. Wow, like mm. nonstop. I mean, it sleeted that day. I'll never forget it <laughs> sleeted, and he and he wanted to finish the round. Like he was just so everything he was on full overdrive wow all the time and you know and and the round would get interrupted with phone calls and i mean it was it was crazy it was a crazy experience and interestingly enough once he became president it settled down because you know more of a, a system and a routine was in place i mean there were a couple times where he had to take some pretty serious phone calls but that transition round was just nuts. We were always playing with Hillary's two brothers and Bill. And, you know, it's the first time I'd experienced a motorcade, you wow. know, just all mm. of those things that you're just as a normal human being, you're not used to. Right. 
man. So, um, yeah. Well, um, we've gotten some, we've got some meat and potatoes questions. These are the questions that we, we ask every guest They're sort of quick hit. We've, we've hit you with a couple already, but we'll, uh, transition to a GGT house favorite. Okay. What are some of your favorite golf smells? Oh, pine trees. Mm. I'm from the I'm from the south, so, so Ar- yeah, Ar- pine Arkansas trees stand pine. out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it is it different than the Georgia pine? Is there a, is there a different hue? I don't know. Different I don't think so. Yeah, timber. There could be probably <laughs> a different accord. Probably I've never been to Arkansas, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, we got to get you there. Come on. <laughs> Me neither. As it we happens, love it actually. Yeah. Let's go play golf. Sit. Take you to my home club. That. I love that. Um, that's great. So, um, so, so speaking of this club, say you dust off the state champion swag, right? Like you're back in it. You're, you're feeling good. Your game is at an all time high. Um, and you win your club championship and next year they bring you back. They're hosting a dinner in your honor. What is on the menu? At this dinner, this is my this is my master's championship dinner, right? <laughs> um, well, I'm. I mean, these are your meat and potatoes questions. I'm a meat yes. and potatoes girl, mm. so yeah. Um, I would have a porterhouse. See, if you go porterhouse, this is good because you know people are usually like, oh, I want a New York strip or I want a fillet. So if you go porterhouse and you get your options, you get then both, you don't best eat of both the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you mm-hmm. get the best of both worlds. Um, I mean, I would just go baked potato, you know, cause I'm, I'm just kind of when I, when I have a steak, I just want, you know, I just want a baked potato. I'm pretty simple in terms of that. And, um, I guess I'd go some, uh, some spicy broccolini. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. That's, that's then, your uh, potatoes. Just, then, a, then a lava cake and vanilla ice cream. Yes. Very yeah. nice. Yes. Okay. What, yeah. are, what are we washing it down with? I mean, I always start with a Johnny Walker Black. You got to have one just to start, and then I and then I go to red wine. So if we're having if we're having steak, you know, we're going to Let's a good cab. Johnny yeah, Walker Black yeah. to just alive in the palate. Yeah, right. Brad, Brad, Brad for a type. Brad for like what? Where do you no, live? I love. That's yeah. great. That that uh that that was a a a bottle of gift from a friend when I first moved to Los Angeles. So that that that. One has a special place home in my for heart. you. I'm speaking yeah, your language. Yeah, okay, yeah that's, that's cool. I right. love that. <laughs> what's your uh, What's your walk up song? Lisa Cornwell to the first tee. You get one song oh, playing man. on a loudspeaker before you um, throw throw a peg in the ground. I mean, I'm so going to age myself. It would be um, Bobby Brown, my prerogative. Oh shit, Ooh. Bobby Brown. <laughs> Let's go. Yes. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound like a song that somebody with a book called Troublemaker? Yes. Have? I mean, just just think about the words, right? True. It's 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 always my I'm prerogative. prerogative. I'm gonna. Uh huh. Always yeah, your prerogative. Really don't care. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do so what we're, I gonna, we're do. gonna share that. We're gonna share that playlist with you. Okay. Um, playlist we, of we've every compiled. It's yeah. great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What is the time on the golf course that you have laughed? The absolute hardest. Oh man, uh, it would have to be playing golf with Trip Eisenhower and Jerry Fultz and Karen Stupples when it, when we all worked together at Golf mm-hmm. Channel. I mean, we had some epic moments. But I mean, I kind of used to throw clubs a little bit. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I actually was really good at it. So 
<laughs> I kind of had it. Yeah, I kind of had it. JB Club throw. No, I wasn't. No, I was. I was helicopter. I helicopter. Oh, okay, it. It you wouldn't go end over end. end. Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> and so they would always egg me on to do it, and I get mad, and I mean, I just hurl it. And so one day we were out there, and we were all having a few drinks, and. I mean, Karen Stupples, who never gets mad. She's a major champion, you know, temperament. Her bounce her, her bounce back birdie number would have been really good, you know, in her day. She got so mad, and after seeing all of us get mad and throw clubs, she decided to throw clubs, but she to throw a club, but she'd never done it before and was so bad at it. She she threw a club and it hit the cart and broke like broke the club and cracked the car or like oh something on it. And I mean we all just it was it was one of my favorite moments ever on the golf course because she would never do it first of all and she was so horribly bad at it just it was just she failed epically wow and i was like you know you may have won the the british but you suck (laughs) at throwing it's like telling the kid like you okay you get 30 seconds and you can you can cuss you can say whatever you want they're like you flipping duster yeah yeah that's right cornball lint liquor yeah you're a jerk lint liquor (laughs) yes (laughs) that was karen that was so funny oh they need to introduce club throwing to the highland games or something that should be a a (laughs) scottish game yeah Yeah. well champion club throwing yeah i would be a contender up there Okay. Yeah, I probably have to work on my swing speed a little bit. My club throwing swing speed was really high at one point. Um, I get the speed sticks out. They're like, wait, why are you put, doing the speed sticks this direction? Yeah, right. It's all well, about the helicopter. What, don't ask. I, I saw um, an instructional video of someone throwing, like doing the motion of throwing the club. And it's yeah, very it's similar to your swing. Mm. It's a good like, drill. Yeah. It's when you release, when you come across, it's a release point. You ha- yeah. yeah. You have, you have so much back here. Yeah. Your, your wrists are, yep. It's a, so don't knock the club throw. I did. You I heard don't. it here first wow. folks. Yep. Yep. <laughs> wow. I'm a believer. Man. Oh, <laughs> Lisa, you've given us so much. Um, and I appreciate your time. You guys are candor. awesome. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Thanks. Truly. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Yeah. And good for you all. Thanks for what you do. It's, you can tell that you're good, good guys trying to make a difference. And, um, it's a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank we'll you. do it again after you read the book. We will. Yes. yes. That's an, that's an automatic rebooking for us. So that was very okay. clever for us to not get a screener ahead of time or whatever you call a, a, a screener in book form. Um, yeah, we're, right. we're very excited to get our hands on the book. It just gives me a good excuse. It gives me a good excuse to come back. Exactly. Yes. So that's good. May 23rd book comes out. Yep. Very excited. Um, yeah. Thank yeah. you for everything. And and thank you for your bravery truly in, in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, from the beginning standing up for others and now standing up for yourself. And just based on what I've heard today, I, I can tell a lot of people are going to get a lot of inspiration and, and juice out of it. So well, thank Big you. Fans. Thank you both. Thanks for saying that.